0: Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Lawyers here in Canada say they're seeing more and more custody cases involving pets. A lack of data has forced a COVID-19 tracking project to hit the brakes. Canada's labor market is being dragged down by an aging population. A big win for the Ticats as the team embarks on a crucial stretch of their season. Gage Park is playing host once again to the Festival of Friends. And it's the final weekend of Hamilton's Fringe Festival. The GMH podcast starts now.
1: This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML.
0: As we know, during this pandemic, millions of people around the world have been forced to work from home. That has put some well, additional stress on couples. We've seen a rise in divorces. We've seen an increase in separations. We're seeing more and more custody battles involving children and possessions and Now we're hearing that lawyers in this country, and I'm sure it's the same in other nations around the world, have noticed a spike in custody cases involving pets. A little fluffy, a little rusty, your cat, your dog, your fish, your bird, your reptile, your horses, even pot-bellied pigs are being caught in the middle. What gives and how can you avoid this situation? Jessica Bonama is a family law lawyer at Siskins LLP and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Jessica, good morning. Welcome to the show.
2: Good morning, Rick. Thanks for having me.
0: Have you noticed an increase in custody battles involving pets?
2: I absolutely have. I heard you earlier and you're absolutely right. Uh, family law lawyers, I think across the province, are very busy right now with a post-pandemic boom. And with that comes a boom in uh, issues that people are having with who is going to keep their pet.
0: So is a pet not considered uh, someone's property?
2: So a a pet is considered personal property um, in accordance with Ontario legislation, but courts will consider a number of factors when determining which person has a right to the pet. So they do understand that sometimes you have to look at the pet's best best interests, like, who is the pet more bonded to? Who brought the pet into the relationship? Um, the most significant, I think, is who paid for the pet. Um, who, you know, brings the dog or the cat to medical appointments? And the vet, who can provide continued care? Who has the right accommodations? You know, all of these factors play a part because you might move into a, an apartment that doesn't even allow pets.
0: That's a very good point, too. I didn't didn't even consider that. When it comes to, you know, who paid for the pet or who's taken the pet to the vet, um, you know, that that can be proven through, you know, receipts and and whatnot. When it comes to, you know, who's best prepared or capable to take care of the pet, that might be tougher to prove, right?
2: Absolutely. That becomes a he he said, she said. And to avoid that kind of thing in court, because that'll become really costly, um, I think the best thing to do is to try to plan for that before you even separate, and that would be having some kind of cohabitation agreement, which outlines the terms for what will happen to your pet, because in a couple of cases of mine, I've, I've actually found that people are a little bit more concerned for who's going to keep the pet than sometimes where uh, their children are going to be staying.
0: <laughs> wow, that's pretty shocking.
2: It is. It is. But, hey, pets are family.
0: (laughs) That's very true. Now, when it comes to um, the, uh, I guess, prenuptial agreement, which has really taken rise over the last couple of decades, are more and more people putting that element, the pet element, in that prenup?
2: Absolutely. I mean, that's the best way to ensure that both people are going to be happy with what they've decided. And that's best if you decide those kinds of things while you're still on good terms with your partner. So we we always recommend addressing those issues um, prior to separation while you're still living together, you're still happy, um, and that way you're not relying on a court to dictate how you're going to spend time with your pet and if you're even going to get to keep them.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Jessica Bonama, family law lawyer at Siskins LLP. We're talking about custody battles involving pets as lawyers across the country have seen a rise in that. You mentioned cost a few minutes ago. Is this a costly procedure, a costly addition in these types of scenarios?
2: If this matter goes to court and you're, you know, trying to get custody or, or time with your pet in front of a judge, that's going to be a costly experience. And one of the things you can do to try to avoid that cost is to think about it before you've even separated from your partner through a cohabitation agreement. So we include provisions all the time, or maybe it's a specific structure of time, uh, three times a month or five times a month for somebody to see their pet. Um, I do find that the children are very attached to a pet, and sometimes it makes sense for the, the pet to travel with the children back and forth.
0: So there are also visitation rights in these cases?
2: So there's no rights to visitation, but judges do understand that pets are family. So, I mean, while it's not specifically legislated, they try to be human and they try to understand that, you know, it's the best interest of the children uh, to, to, you know, have consistency. And sometimes that means traveling with their pets.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Is there any follow-up in terms of whether or not families are adhering to the, I guess, sort of visitation rights uh, process?
2: So what I've actually found in a couple of my cases is that one, the, the pet will eventually stop traveling and it will stay with one person over the other, and that's just how it ends.
0: Hmm. Very interesting stuff. Anything else we should know in terms of custody battles involving pets, whether it's a a process or something that can help someone avoid this scenario?
2: I would just go back to my earlier points of, of really defining, you know, who purchased the pet? Did somebody bring the pet into the relationship? And who primarily cares for it? Because really paying attention to those things could save you a lot of money in court one day
0: absolutely jessica really appreciate your time today thanks for joining us and enjoy the long weekend
2: thanks so much
0: jessica bonama is a family law lawyer at siskins llp if you have a pet and you're in a relationship you might want to i know it's a horrible conversation hey honey if we ever break up uh i want toto <laughs> try that on your significant other and see how that uh, how that flies Probably not going to be a great conversation starter. You know, if we ever, if our our marriage or partnership ever dissolves, this is what we should do. (laughs) It's a tough conversation. Uh, But hey, obviously, as the costs continue to pile up in these uh, scenarios, it's a worthy one to have. Maybe not the, the the best to start off an important dinner or an occasion with uh, that kind of sentiment.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: The uh, National Institute on Aging is pausing its project of tracking COVID-19 cases and deaths in long-term care and retirement homes because of a lack of publicly available data should we be concerned about this dr samir sinha is the director of health policy research for the national institute on aging and joins us now on good morning hamilton dr sinha good morning how are you today
3: good morning rick i'm doing well how are you
0: i'm good so what is happening here
3: well what's really happening is that we are seeing an increasingly lack of publicly available data from various governments across canada um telling us information about how much COVID is circulating in our communities, but in particular, um, how long-term care homes continue to be affected. So we have some provinces and territories that have been great about continuing to um, share very good comprehensive data, but others where it's never really been existent right from the beginning. um, And now many of them are no longer just providing the quality of data that we need so that we can create a, standardized, comparable um, record um, that anybody from across the country can look at and use to create comparisons and and other opportunities uh, for for all of us to understand what's going on.
0: The tracker was obviously uh, vitally important throughout the pandemic. Uh, With its pause, what's going to be the impact? What's the fallout here?
3: Well, the impact is that we, we can no longer create an accurate record. And that means that I don't think anybody will really have a good, clear, accurate national record of what's happening. In fact, you know, why do I say that is that when at the start of the pandemic, we realized that we need a record like this so that we can understand what's happening right across the country, um, how different provincial or territorial approaches are actually having an impact. How do we compare as a country against other countries? And so it was our data that actually became the basis of what our Canadian Institute for health information, what our public health agency of Canada came to rely on to actually help answer these sorts of questions. Uh, And we were doing this completely on a voluntary effort. incredible amount of hard work from volunteers and staff members who were literally spending, you know, their entire days combing through various records to try and put together an accurate uh, um, account of what was happening. And we just no longer can do it. You know, we can do it for some places, but we can't do it consistently in a way that we feel that we can give the public a reliable, clear, accurate record of what's happening.
0: My guess is the data that has been collected is going to be extremely important. The next time around, whenever that is,
3: absolutely. like what we what we are doing is we've you know our website remains active. People have a clear and accurate record right up until July first of this year. Um we'd love to keep going, but we just can't. Um, but we're hoping that uh, that you know when there's another pandemic or even as this pandemic continues, we demonstrated how you could do this, but the importance that we still need our provinces and territories to come together and come up with common definitions, common reporting standards and an agreement that they will actually produce the sort of data in, a, in an equal way so that we can really have a good overall national and collective response.
0: Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900CHML is Dr. Samir Sinha, Director of Health Policy Research for the National Institute on Aging. It is pausing its innovative tracking project that looked at cases uh, in long-term care facilities, retirement homes, uh, and deaths uh, as well due to COVID-19. Because this is a pause, is there a chance for a restart? And if so, when could that happen?
3: Yeah, it'll really depend, Rick. It it really depends on if we actually see some sort of level of agreement or, or an increased level of accountability. You know, right now um, we know we're in a seventh wave. We have, um, you know, close to 200 homes that are in outbreak again, close to 200 ca- 2000 cases um, in our homes and, and just over 70 deaths. So we know what's happening in Ontario but we don't really have a clear sense of what's happening elsewhere. But if we do see provinces make some sort of commitment um, so that we can start seeing more consistent, accurate data, we'd absolutely love to continue this work. But we also think that it shouldn't be a voluntary effort by a think tank. It should actually be something that one of our federally funded agencies like HIHI or PHAC are given the actual mandate to do something that's so vitally important uh, for us to help protect our most vulnerable people.
0: Got about a minute left in this segment. I do want to ask you about the current uh, wave. Uh, BA5 is is of great concern now. We have uh, fourth doses or second booster shots being offered. Uh, Kids under five now being vaccinated. All the while, monkeypox is here as well. Uh, What's your sense of where we're going as we enter the fall?
3: Yeah, well, we know that with the the fall coming up, we expect that there will probably be another wave, because there is a bit of a seasonal element as it gets colder. um, We get more indoors, it becomes a bit more crowded. So we expect that there'll be probably an eighth wave that will occur in the fall. My key advice to everybody is make sure that you're up to date with your vaccinations, you know, whatever you're eligible for, get it. Because the key is, is that, you know, these vaccinations will protect you from severe illness, but more importantly, getting reinfected multiple times just increases your risk of things like long COVID as well. So this is still a problem in our society, and the more we can do to protect ourselves and each other, uh, the better off we're going to be until we figure out how to really deal with this once and for all.
0: Well said, Dr. Sinha, really appreciate your time today. Enjoy the long weekend. Thanks for having me. That is Dr. Samir Sinha, Director of Health Policy Research for the National Institute on Aging. You can find more on this story on globalnews.ca and 900CHML.com.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900CHML.
0: There is a new study out that you will want to hear the details of, and we're talking about it now. It's from the Fraser Institute, and it shows that Canada's aging population is creating a drag on our country's labor market. The co-author of that study, called An Aging Population, the Demographic Drag on Canada's Labor Market, is Fraser Institute economist Tegan Hill. Tegan, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. I'm
4: great. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, let's dive right into it. How did you compile this study? What, what stats did you look, that, uh, look at and what do they show us?
4: Mm-hmm. So the study compares labor statistics for the first five months of 2022 relative to the same period in 2019. So we're looking at unemployment rates, employment rates, labor market participation, all of those uh, data points. We find that the employment rate has yet to fully recover to 2019 levels at the same time, of course, we know Canada is experiencing record job vacancies. What's interesting is that there were 1.1 million additional potential workers, so those aged 15 or above, compared to 2019, but only a little over half of those are actually employed in 2022.
0: Now, did you expect to see this? Usually with a study, you'll have a thesis on what you expect the numbers to show or whatever the case is. Was, was, this, was this the expectation going in?
4: Well, the impetus was really that we were noticing some quirks with the labor market, um, despite the fact that, you know, there's been headlines talking about our record low unemployment rates and that things look really good. But of course, we know that um, not everything is sunshine and rainbows right now. There's a lot of difficulties. Uh, So what we wanted to really look at, the first thought was, okay, we know that the aging population is going to, uh, has begun it, and will put some pressure on the labor market. So let's see if that's what's going on here. And what we found is that actually is the case. Um, Seniors who have lower employment and labor market participation, make up the vast majority of those potential workers that I spoke about. Um, And so that's creating a drag on the overall labor market recovery. And if their employment and participation rates stay as they are, that will continue to be a problem that compounds as our, our population continues to age.
0: Tegan Hill is our guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, an economist with the Fraser Institute and co-author of the report on Aging Population, the Demographic Drag on Canada's Labor Markets. So given what you were just telling us, is the low unemployment rate somewhat deceiving in terms of the the health and the makeup of our labor force?
4: Um, I would say that what can be challenging is that labor statistics are often more complicated than they first appear so yes the unemployment and the employment rate can actually show different things we've seen that since 2008 actually Um, they're moving in uh, the same direction which can be confusing so it is really important for Canadians to look a little bit closer at the data Um, a really important insight that we find from this study is that the working age employment is actually at record highs And what that tells us is that we can't rely on those aged 15 to 64 to fill the labor market gap um, for full recovery, for businesses to be able to find workers, for the supply and goods and services to increase and help with inflation. We're going to need more workers over the age of 65.
0: Now, as that age group, let's just take the, the 50 to 65 kind of age range. As they get older, how does that impact the labor market?
4: Mm hmm. So they have lower participation in the labor market. They have lower employment rates. Um, So that kind of creates a drag because we have a growing population, but a smaller share of those that are involved in the labor market. One thing that the government could do is reassess policies that may be impeding those workers from participating in the labor market. Um, So, for example, there are significant clawbacks in retirement income support programs like old age security. And those reduce payments uh, if seniors earn additional income in the labor market, which effectively imposes an additional tax on working that can discourage seniors who otherwise would engage in work from doing so. Um, So while the overall ageing of the population is a challenge that the government can't directly stop, there are certainly policies that can help with its impact on the labor market.
0: So how do we get to an optimum labor market in terms of its health and progression and output?
4: Well, a big thing is reevaluating those barriers that I spoke of. Um, There's a changing nature of work. We have the gig economy, part-time work, work from home. Um, There's a desire of many older uh, individuals to keep working. We have health improvements in health, increases in life expectancy and the necessity of employers right now to address current and looming labor shortages. So a big part is going to be looking and reevaluating out what might be impeding seniors from engaging in the labor market that otherwise may wish to. Um, I think there's also going to be a role to play for immigration and other policies like that. But it's really just reevaluating where we're at right now, given the aging population, and looking at some policies and levers that the government could pull uh, to see how we could get more uh, workers in the labor force.
0: Tegan, really appreciate your time. This is a very interesting and fascinating topic that you guys have pounced upon, and I really appreciate your time today.
4: Thank
1: you so much for having me. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Big game at the donut box last night. Tiger Cats, Alouettes duking it out in what is for Hamilton, uh, the first of six consecutive games against Eastern Division opponents. So last night, Hamilton, Montreal, dropping the gloves. And you know when we do this... It's good news for Hamilton.
5: We love those cats,
1: those tiger cats, the team with the spirit and fight. We'll crouch and snarl and bite and growl and win with all our might. We love those cats, those tiger cats, the team with the spirit and fight. For a whiskey wee-wee and a ski-wawa and on to victory. That
0: is Ticat superfan Robert. He actually sung that after the Ticats lost the Grey Cup um, back in December at Tim Hortons Field. And he was, I think at the time, you know, obviously miffed that the Cats didn't get the job done, but was happy that it was an entertaining game and that Hamilton finally had the Grey Cup back as a host city for the first time since 96. This year's Grey Cup is in Saskatchewan next year. It'll be back in Hamilton. Hopefully we'll have Robert on the fifth quarter after the Ticats win that Grey Cup. And who knows? might be two in a row. But before we talk about Grey Cup championships, we have to talk about more victories. And the Tiger Cats got one last night. Finally, finally hanging on to a fourth quarter lead. At one point, they were up 24-6. It was 24-6 entering the fourth quarter. And despite um, 11 points by the Montreal Alouettes, that was as close as they got. 24-17 the final in favor of Hamilton. And, you know, Cats played well, especially, especially on the defensive side of the football. But here's some of the highlights from last night's game. And it all started with a first-ever TD for a, uh, well, a little-used player for the black and gold.
6: And the Tiger Cats bring in Jamie Newman. At quarterback, he'll go under center, need a yard for a touchdown. Newman keeps, rolls to his left, and Jamie Newman has his first CFL touchdown as a member of the Tiger Cats, and that'll put Hamilton ahead early in the second quarter.
0: Yeah, about uh, 40 seconds into the second period, Jamie Newman rumbling in from one yard out to make it a 7-3 to football game for the Tiger Cats' His first-ever CFL TD, his first-ever play regular season in the Canadian Football League. Uh, Both teams had a couple field goals in that half as well. And early on in the third quarter, this is where the Tiger Cats started to find their groove. Actually, going into the wind, they were more productive than going um, with the wind at their back. And it all started with Dane Evans and Stephen Dunbar Jr., who did a lot of the work on this play.
6: Tiger Cats now on the Montreal 40. Dane Evans, quick throw. It's complete to Stephen Dunbar, Jr. Cuts to the middle, back to the right. He's to the 20, the 15, the 10. Touchdown, (laughs) Tiger Cats! Stephen Dunbar
0: does it again! Absolute beautiful run as he weaved in and out of traffic for a 40-yard score that put the Tiger Cats up 17-6 on Montreal. And they weren't done there just yet. Five minutes later, the Cats have the football back on the one-yard line. Line, thanks to a great pass interference challenge call by head coach Orlando Steinauer. And if you missed it, it was a throw into the end zone that looked like the Tiger Cats receiver had caught the football. But then at one point, as he and uh, a Montreal defender were going to the turf, the the ball was intercepted. It was ruled incomplete. So we thought it was a Tiger Cats catch. Then we thought it was an Alouette's interception. Uh, but the ruling on the field was incomplete. But hold the four-tier because coach O through the challenge flag saying hey there was defensive pass interference on that play and after video review there was football placed on the montreal one and then this
6: dane evans in the shotgun Hands off to Don Jackson, and he stood up immediately. Battles through the tackle, and it's a touchdown for Don Jackson. What a strong run that was. That
0: yeah, proved to be the winning scores. The Tiger Cats ended up winning the ballgame 24-17. There were some nail-biting moments there at the end with a nine seconds to go, eight seconds to go. Trevor Harris was hit hard by Stavros Katzenzonas. And Harris was forced to leave the game because the CFL spotter said, listen, I didn't like the hit. I didn't like how Harris got up. Let's take him out of the game for precautionary reasons. And the Montreal sideline just lost it because this is is their chance to tie the game. Eight seconds to go. They're down by seven at the Hamilton 21-yard line, so Montreal is forced to insert Dominique Davis, their backup quarterback, for the final play of the game.
6: Eight seconds to go. Montreal down by seven. They're on the Hamilton 21. Davis hasn't thrown a pass tonight. He throws one here. It's intercepted. Tiger Cats intercepted. And it's Cam Kelly who gets the interception, and that will end the game.
0: Big thanks to the Ticats Audio Network for the audio. And you heard the game last night here on 900 CHML as well. we had a a wonderful set of callers and emailers and tweeters and Facebook messengers uh, on the show last night. It was the first of six in a row, as I mentioned, for the Tiger Cats against Eastern opponents. And all six of those games are against either Montreal or Toronto. They're in Toronto on August the 6th. They host the Argonauts. Uh, The following week, August 12th, they're in Montreal, August 20th, back in Toronto, August 26th. And then it's the Labor Day Classic on Monday, September 5th against Toronto. And so this is the key stretch of the season for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. But one other thing we should point out last night, aside from the important start to a crucial stretch of the schedule, is that this was the first time this season, they've played seven games now, and Hamilton has outscored their opponent... In the second half yeah they outpointed Montreal 14 to 11 and it looked like at the end that Montreal was going to get one more score and thankfully they did not tie cats now two and five on the season so is Montreal but the tie cats with the win last night have the tiebreaker. And are in second place in the East, two points back of Montreal, or two points back of Toronto, I should say, who host Ottawa this coming Sunday.
1: You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Festival of Friends is back. Yeah, it returns this weekend with a rockin' musical lineup at Gage Park. And the weather for this long weekend could not be better. Robert Roccozzi is the general manager of the Festival of Friends and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Robert, good morning. Thanks for waking up with us today.
5: <laughs> waking up? I haven't been to bed yet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> What's, has this been a whirlwind of a week trying to put the final touches on uh, this weekend shows?
5: Absolutely. It is every year. But, you know, I always joke about how we're like farmers. It's all about the weather, so everything's going smooth.
0: Well, speaking of the weather, I mean, sunny and 27 to 29 during the day, um, not too crazy hot at night, you know, 13, 15, 16 degrees, whatever you did, whatever prayers you said, they've been answered this weekend.
5: Well, I think the uh, post-COVID gods are smiling on us.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What's it like being back and and being back at Gage Park as well, which is just a tremendous venue?
5: Oh, it's amazing. And they've done a lot of improvements on the park in the last couple of years, and you know, it's just, there was there was a time, you know, uh, a couple of years ago where it felt like we were never going to be doing this again, and just to be able to walk back in the park and see the stage go up and the vendors start to move in, and it's just amazing.
0: What was that feeling like of that uncertainty, that, you know, the, the what if?
5: Yeah, I mean, it's a two-part. I'm worried about my own job, obviously, yeah. but more importantly, it's this 45-year-old institution that Hamilton knows and loves, and I'm trying to make sure it weathers, and our board's trying to make sure it weathers all of this so that we can put this thing on for another 45 years, but we're, we're better than ever.
0: Robert Roccozzi is the GM of the Festival of Friends. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Festival of Friends kicking off today at Gage Park. Runs through Sunday with some awesome performances by Hamilton's own Monster Truck, Serena Ryder, Snotty Nose Rez Kids, Gord Bramford, uh, George Canyon. The list goes on and on and on. What's it like securing these artists? How receptive are they to play at a festival here in Hamilton?
5: Oh, they, the Festival of Friends is known for being a showcase because of its free nature and the the demographic makeup of the city. You know, we got the only reason we could get Tanya Tucker to come play Hamilton is because of this particular event and our particular cachet. But you know, there's a lot of hungry artists out there who haven't been able to tour. So you know, money's also a receptive. Uh, you know, it talks.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is for sure. Um, there is also, and this is, I believe this is new this year, a one-day celebration of Indigenous arts tomorrow. Tell us about that.
5: Yeah, we kind of, you know, the last couple of years, I think we've all realized that uh, Indigenous artisans, makers, performers are very underrepresented. And we thought that we would do something different. So we have, the, you know, the Sino's Rez kids kind of capping off the night. But we have a day, a full stage on the band shell of Indigenous performers, Jace Martin. Uh, James Wilson, and uh, we also have 30 uh, indigenous makers who will be there only on Saturday uh, set up right next to the band show, so that should be amazing.
0: Do you anticipate this to be an annual addition to the show?
5: Uh, I hope so. I think we can make a, find a way to make it work. It'd be great. Yeah, it sounds
0: exciting. Our if people th-
5: come down, we'd love to keep it going.
0: Yeah, for sure. Robert Rokosi is the GM of the Festival of Friends. It kicks off today at Gage Park, runs through Sunday. A free three-day rock and musical lineup is on tap as well. What else is in store? Anything new in store for people to see and do?
5: Uh, no, we're just trying to do more of everything. You know, there's 30% more vendors than the last festival. I like to point out that we are the second largest gathering of vendors in Ontario in the summer, other than the CNE. Uh, we've got a, an additional stage this year, uh, an acoustic stage, very much like a campfire stage, no, no electrification, just a performer with his guitar or her guitar, and um, just sit in the woods and, and have a right by the fountain and uh, listen to some amazing, folky, you know, more traditional festival music.
0: How many people do you expect to attend the, the weekend?
5: Well, normally we do about 100,000, but our internet traffic's like 55% higher than it's ever been. So uh, more than that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's see it. Robert, appreciate the time. Best of luck with the Festival of Friends, and we'll talk to you down the road.
5: I appreciate it. Thank you. You're
1: listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML.
0: Hamilton Fringe Festival wraps up this weekend, but not before a few entertainers take the stage for a few more times, including our next guest. He's a singer-songwriter, a writer-performer, and the energy and voice behind mine true stories and legends of the porcupine gold rush you can check it out now at the hamilton fringe festival will gillespie joins us on good morning hamilton will good morning welcome to the show
7: oh hi thanks for having me
0: hey tell us about this show mine true stories and legends of the porcupine gold rush what's it about
7: oh sure well uh i wrote uh, 12 new songs about uh, different characters from the uh porcupine gold rush and so what that is is uh, a gold rush that happened right here in Ontario up north in the porcupine camp which is now the city of Timmins and uh, that's uh, where I grew up and so I just uh, did some research and found uh, 12 different characters that I found fascinating and they had some interesting anecdotes about and then turned those into songs and then I turned those songs into a play and that's what's uh, playing at the Westdale uh, this week. So this is a true story. Uh, Yeah, it's a a collection of true stories. Uh, Yeah, because, you know, you hear a lot of stories about the gold rush in the Klondike or in California in 1849. Well, yeah, so here's another bit of uh, lesser known uh, Northern Ontario history, and that's still the main uh, industry up in Northern Ontario. So, yeah.
0: How long did it take you to put all these stories together, write these songs, and get this show um, to, to be what it is right now?
7: Oh well, I think I started the process of last summer, so about about a year. Wow!
0: And yeah. so, have you thought about tweaking it, adding to it, taking stuff out? How has it morphed over that time?
7: Yes. Well, uh, there's the idea. Well, that that was interesting. Uh, yeah, as I'm, you know, because there's so much history to uh, to go through. Even the the characters and the stories I I wrote. Yeah, I wound up, you know, doing like a. Sort of like five page, you know, six minute song, and then whittling them down to about uh, three, three and a half minutes each. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's, so that was neat to, you know, there's even just cutting all the uh, the other stuff and trying to choose, you know, just what I do speak about and what uh, fits together and is entertaining, you know, and interesting, and, you know, also history worth sharing, you know, trying to whittle it down to an hour because that's how much time we have for the Fringe Festival. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite character in the production, one that you did some research on and thought, wow, this, this individual uh, must have had a truly amazing life?
7: Oh, well, there's, yeah, there's a few, uh, pretty much all of them. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, there's a place on Porcupine Lake uh, called Dead Man's Point, and uh, one of the big monuments there is to uh, a man named Robert Weiss and his whole family. They're all, you know, they've got a, a big plaque there, and I don't want to give away too much because Anyway, even though it's history, <laughs> <it'll be> new- <laughs> you want people coming to the show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You want people to come to the show and find out for themselves there. But uh, yeah, he was quite uh, fascinating, and uh, yeah, he was one of the heroes of the Great Fire of 1911, and I have a few songs about that. So it's it's pretty exciting, you know. There's uh, all kinds of different emotions in the show, and yeah, and uh, his story sort of explores a bunch of them.
0: sounds like a great show. It's called Mine, True Stories, and Legends of the Porcupine Gold Rush. It is playing now at the Hamilton Fringe Festival at the Westdale Theater. Will Gillespie, singer, songwriter, writer, performer. You can check him out online. You can get your tickets. Uh, Look for Showtimes, hftco.ca. Will, appreciate the time. Good luck with the final weekend of the festival.